You are listening to Hope Fellowship Church of Jaffrey, New Hampshire. If you would like to check out more resources or to donate to this ministry, please visit hfcnh.org. As you might gather, I'm a person who enjoys life. I have traveled all 50 states, over 40 countries, and met a lot of people and just enjoy life. But there are times, it seems, in all of our lives that at times things get a little bit disruptive. Have you ever been in a space where you've been enjoying life tremendously and then all of a sudden something happens and it's almost like it throws your life completely out of order? I was thinking of just a story that connected to that idea one point in time, we were up at Camperia, and we took all the staff down to Concord, which is the big city where we are. And we're down there in multiple cars enjoying a great meal, and it's an absolutely amazing time. So on the way back, everybody jumps in their separate cars, and they start going up the highway. It's dark at this point in time. I stay late to make sure the bill's paid and that the waiter or the waitress gets a significant tip for the amount of work that we put on their plate. As I jump in the car, I start driving. I'm with somebody, I'm actually in the passenger side, they're driving the car, and the person that's driving is a lead foot driver. Do you understand what I mean? Somebody who's driving at a significant speed. And as we're driving up the highway, I notice one of our staff cars, full of staff. And I thought, we should create a memorable moment right now on the highway going 65 miles an hour down the road. What I realized is that the owner of that other vehicle was actually a brand new driver. And so I had an amazing idea. This was the idea. As they were driving up the highway, we would pull up right next to them. And then I would, for those of you who were born prior to 1995, this is rolling down a window, all right? That's what, this is the official sign. Of, it's not this, okay? So... I said, you know what? What we'll do is we'll pull up, I'll roll down the window, I'll put my body outside the window, and I'll knock on their window like I'm knocking on their front door. What an amazing idea. (laughs) At 65, 70 miles an hour down the highway, the plan was set. We were already sixth grade middle school girls giggling, thinking about the reaction of what was going to happen. And as we pulled up, I rolled the window down, and right before I went out the window, I said, here it goes. And I grabbed the side of the window, I put my head off, and my glasses went flying off. (laughs) Plan was completely aborted. I said, Turners, turn over. I lost my glasses. The car never saw us. We pulled over, and now we're on the highway looking for my glasses where they are on the yellow line as cars 65 miles an hour are going within inches. Isn't that the way life is? Like you have an amazing plan, but all of a sudden, honestly, something hits your life space, and it turns upside down. You know, those are the times when we need alignment in our life. I'll be honest with you. I've noticed this as I've talked to a lot of people. There are three spaces in the life of any person that if any one of these three spaces gets violated, we upend our life. We open the hood. We start pulling all the wires out. We think something is wrong. 
We think something has gone incredibly wrong if one of these three things happens. Number one, if at any point in time you're going through life and you go, I wonder if this is, I wonder if I'm on the right path. Am I really going where I'm supposed to be going? Am I on the right, if anybody ever, if there's something that happens in your life and all of a sudden you go, I don't know if I'm on the right path. I don't know if I'm on the right career track. I don't know if I'm going in the right direction. The next thing you know, everything in your life gets put on the table and you start investigating the whole thing. Path, everybody say path. Second one is people, say people. You know what? Sometimes you get to life and actually you, you get to a point in your life and you look around and you're surrounded and you're going, it is hard to, to soar with the eagles when you're surrounded by a bunch of turkeys. <laughs> and you just think in your life, I don't know if these people are going to take me where I need to go. You start questioning something that's going on in your life. But can I be honest? Even during COVID, I have many friends that have dealt with this where unfortunate circumstances have taken. We've lost people. We've had difficulties in our life where we, we lose somebody close to us. And I'm gonna tell you, when those kind of things happen, you upend your life. Everything gets put on the table. You start pulling the wires out of the car because if at any point in time you're wondering if you're on the right path, or if at any point in time you have a significant event where people, something is happening, either those who are around you or those who have left you, something happens, your life is upended. But there's one more. The first one is what? That was great. That was the interactive portion of this talk, all right? Ready, let's try it together. One, two, three, the? The? The third thing is pleasure. And when I say pleasure, I mean just having a good time. You ever been going through life and you're going, all of a sudden you're going through a difficult time in your life and go, man, I'm just not having fun. I'm just, I, my life is not fun. You start going, you know what? My life isn't fun. You open up the hood, you start pulling. Why is my life not fun? Why am I not enjoying life? I mean, don't raise your hand because it's probably everybody, but at some point, have you ever looked at Instagram and, or Facebook or something on social media and seen somebody else and you're going, why am I not living that life? And you start going, you know, you go through, you, you, what? Honey, we're selling the house. Why? Well, look at these guys are in Tahiti and I'm here in Jaffrey and it's snowing, right? Because the reality is if any point, any of these three, say it with me, one, two, three. The first one is? Second? Third one? If any one of these threes get violated, we upend our life. So what do we do? How do we find security and stability in a world that, where these things get violated all the time? You know, <clears throat> there's many stories we could use in the Bible, but the one thing I love about the story of David is we have a long timeline. We see David, King David, actually we see him as a shepherd first. Shepherd, he has super highs like beating Goliath and then super lows like Bathsheba. He also has death in his family. And in the middle of his life space, he's been anointed to become king, but unfortunately, the guy who has the crown wants to kill him. Can you sort of understand that at some point in his life, he sort of guessed what path he was on? 
Do you think at any point in time, possibly when he was sitting in a cave, he wondered about the people he was surrounded with? Or do you think at any point in time when he was running from Saul, he was sitting on the side of the mountain going, I'm just not having fun. I think his life can serve as a guide for us. And in fact, in Psalm 16, he does a prayer that I think is significant. We're gonna move through this relatively quickly, so strap on your seatbelts and extinguish all smoking material, okay? Psalm 16, verse one. I want you to listen to these words. I want you to hear what he's saying. Here we go. He says this. Preserve me, O God, for in you I take refuge. He says, preserve me. Notice that the first thing he's doing is he is acknowledging that there is a God. He's not agnostic or an atheist. He actually says, no, there is a God. In fact, the word God there in Hebrew was El. It's the generic word God. Everybody used that. He said, he said preserve me, help me. Protect me. Get me into a place. God, I acknowledge that you are there in life and I take refuge in you. You are my fortress. I need you. Something has been violated in his life and he's going, I need you. But notice what he does in verse two. He says, I say to you, Lord, What's really interesting in this portion of scripture is he says, preserve me, O God, L, there is a God, for in you I take refuge, I say to you, watch me, Lord, Yahweh. That's actually the word Yahweh. Yahweh was the name given to God at the burning bush, Moses. What is he saying? Hey, I need God, I, God, I need you. But I don't just need God, I need the God of my fathers, Yahweh. Preserve me, O God, I say to you, Lord, you are, notice the words, my Lord, actually, Adonai. Notice what he's doing. He's, his opening salvo in his prayer is about alignment. He's saying, God, the God of my fathers, my God. It's not a distant God. It's not the God that my grandparents used to talk about. That God is real. That God, I heard about the miracles, but that God is my God. And I have no good. There is nothing good. There is nothing outside of that funnel that is worthy aside from you. You are God, Creator, you are the God that delivered my forefathers, and I choose you. I choose you as my God. And I have decided that there is nothing outside of you that is good. I mean, this is some strong language that he's using. At some point in time, we know that we don't know exactly when Psalm 16 was written, but we know this. I can guarantee you, one of these three, if not more than, were violated. He's desperate. Preserve me, O God. I say to you, Yahweh Adonai. And now he goes in the next few verses into some couplets. Notice what he says in verse three. 
As for the saints in the land, they are excellent ones, in whom is all my delight. What is he saying there? He's saying, listen, there are people who know you. They've been separated. Nation of Israel, they know you, you chose them. Through Father Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, ultimately named Israel, you know what? Those saints in the land, there are some great people, and I find my delight in your people. What is David saying? He's saying, I love what you love. He chose that nation. I love what you love. But he's making a stark contrast because he's setting this up for the, for the next verse. But in that first verse, he's saying, there are people down here who are amazing. You can already tell that he's getting into the space of number two. He says, well, I choose what you choose. I love what you love. And in fact, not only do I choose that, but I deliberately say no to what? The sorrows of those who run after small g God shall multiply. There's two kinds of people. Those that you love, those who love you, and those who do not acknowledge you. Well, guess what? I, the sorrows, the angst, the anxiety, everything of those people who don't love you, their sorrows are gonna be multiplied. There's a multiple multiplied, and their drink offerings of blood, once again, blood in a cup was a libation that they did for sacrificing. Their blood, I will not, I say, their drink offerings, I will not pour out. I will not pour lifeblood, the symbolism, I will not pour my blood, I will not pour my blood to sacrifice to those gods. I will not expend any of my energy or my lifeblood expending to those gods, and not even will I not spend my life, but I will not take their names, the names of those gods, on the lips. And if you study scripture, you understand there's big significance with sort of the entry points into humanity. Ears is one of them. Eyes is another one. But mouth is a big one. Mouth speaks of consuming. Mouth speaks of taking something and taking it in. And he's saying what? I will not allow the names of those gods who multiply sorrow, I will not allow them to touch the outer epidermis of my mouth. Not that I'm going to take a swig and spit it out. I'm not going to try it. See, those who take a swig, slosh it around, they're trying it. He goes, no, 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 no. I love what you love. There are saints in the area. I love what you love. And these other guys, these people don't realize it, but their sorrow is going to multiply. And I will not take my lifeblood and pour it on the altar to these gods who are meaningless. And not only will I not do that, I won't even taste it. I won't even Taste it because it's unworthy. You can tell he's climbing up. God, El, Yahweh, Adonai, 
I love what you love. I shun what doesn't respect you. He's revealing his heart to God. There is something in his life. Something happened in his life. Are you ready? Here it is. Something happened in his life in the... Okay, folks, you missed it. You got to stay with me. Something happened in his life either on the... At some point in time, one of those was violated. So he's sitting here and he's, he's aligning himself with God. But listen to the next verse, five and six. I shun what you shun. The Lord, Yahweh, the God of my fathers, is my chosen portion. Very interesting language, isn't it? He's choosing as his portion. Now, notice that most of David's life, he was nomadic. But he's actually using verbiage that was connected to the tribe of Levi. See, every tribe had a portion of land, except for the Levi's. Their portion was the Lord. He sees himself, even though he is not from the tribe of Levi, he is exemplifying, he is purifying himself. He says, what is around me does not matter. I don't care what I own because I choose you. I, choose, I center myself around you. You are the center of my being. I happen to know you guys have been going through Colossians. Centering yourself is about alignment. Finding out that which is important and stabilizing yourself with it. Finding your space. He says, the Lord is my chosen portion. He is my cup. Do you remember? He's coming back to the same. He is my cup. And he says, you hold my lot. I don't even hold my own cup. Which is to say, my life, my life, which is representative of the cup, the blood inside of it, the life that's in the, in, in the body, I don't even hold it. I don't get to choose when I pour it out or keep it in. You are holding my cup. I submit myself. I surrender who I am. I surrender the vessel that I am to you. You are my chosen portion. You hold my lot. And then he says this, Verse six, the lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Indeed, I have a beautiful inheritance. Notice, he's using two tenses out of the three. Two tenses out of the three. He says, the lines have fallen, passed. The lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Once again, we don't know exactly where he is in this space when he wrote this. But we know enough of his story that there was no part of his life that was amazing. Yeah, I mean, he, he beat Goliath, which is probably one of the pinnacle moments. Do you remember what happened like 13 minutes before that? His brother said, what are you doing over here? Why don't you take care of the sheep? And then he kills Goliath, reigning achievement. He goes into, into the city and everybody's like, He's killing the 10,000s, Saul's not. That was a pretty, that was a pretty short pinnacle. What it, what it, he says, you know what? Wherever I am, on the side of the mountain, 
in the palace, in the sheep field, wherever I have been, they've fallen in pleasant places. Because I choose to believe that what you give is good. Those resonate with verses from Romans, don't they? I choose to believe that what you give is good. But then he says, future. He says, the lions have fallen for me in pleasant places. Indeed, I have a beautiful inheritance. He is being prophetic and predictive that what he has in front of him is gonna be beautiful because of what he's seen. Now it's so funny because if you look at his life, he really had a tough life. There were multiple times when either the path, the people, or his pleasure was violated. Many times, all at once. And yet he's saying, whenever, he's like, this is good. Where I am is good, and I know because, I know that where I'm going is gonna be great because where I am is good. So notice he says, El, Yahweh, Adonai. I love what you love, I shun what doesn't love you. You are my chosen portion, you hold my cup. I pour it out to you, and what has been and what will be is great because I submit myself to you. And then he reaches the next verses, seven and eight, which really are probably the pinnacle verses of this chapter. This is sort of the, sort of the, you know, the, sort of the height of the mountain, if you will. Because of all that which I have said in the first six verses, I bless the Lord who gives me counsel. I bless him because you're the one that instructs me. Why does he get instruction from God? Because he has declared El, Yahweh Adonai. It's not just God, it's the God of my fathers, it's my God. That's why he feels actually like he is blessed because he gets his counsel straight from the top. And in the night, my heart instructs me. I don't know how it is for you in your life, but I'm sure at some point you've woken up in the middle of the night panting, sweating, anxious thoughts, and you can't go to sleep. On a very personal note, that's happened several times in our acquisition with Monadnock. Like when you start looking at the work that we have to do there, let me tell you, cold sweats happen very, you know. But God has a plan, right? But what David is saying here is cold sweats, when I wake up, what does he say? He says, he says, in the night, also my heart instructs me. In other words, I have taken so much counsel from you, so much wisdom that my cup is overflowing. Like it says in the Psalms, right? I have hid your word in my heart. And it is filled with the counsel, the principles of living that you have given. And so when I wake up in the middle of the night, I'm ultimately redirected to you. I'm not worrying about the earthly plane, I'm connected to the divine. I'm excited about what you have for me in the middle of the night. And then verse eight, which frankly is my favorite. Let me just take a couple of minutes on this one. I feel like this verse by itself is a message. But just let's read it real quick. Verse eight, I have set the Lord always before me. Because he is at my right hand, I will not be shaken. I have set the Lord always before me because he is at my right hand, I will not be shaken. Notice it's three phrases. I have set the Lord always before me. Now, 
as you and I are sitting here in this space right now, you are, it could be said, before me. You are in front of me. That is not what David is saying. If you go back and study the words here, it's not the fact that somebody is ahead of somebody on a 180 degree plane. That is not what he's talking about. What he is talking about is the Lord is directly in front of me. He is in front of me. He literally is here, and actually, the wording, if you look at it, it's eye to eye. He is staring eye to eye. The Lord is before me. I don't look around. I am centered. So many of us feel like we're, or, listen, oriented towards God. But being oriented towards God gives us a 180-degree plane for us to twist our neck and choose that which we like that's in front of us. We're not talking about just general orientation. We're talking, he is completely says, I have set, permanently fixed. It is, it is embedded in the foundation of my life that he is set before me. He is right there, and I am locked on him. Next thing he says is this. He's at my right hand. I have set the Lord always before me because he is at my right hand. Right hand speaks of two things in scripture. One, strength. So I have set the Lord always before me. He is my strength. But right hand also speaks of proximity. So it's not like, and I'm gonna go off the camera here for just a minute. Can't see me. Here I am, all right? It's not like he's in front of me on a line. No, 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 no. He actually is directly in front of me. I'm locked completely on him. He is my strength and he is present. He is in front of me. He is, I am locked on him. He is my strength and he is present. That's why he says, I shall not be shaken. Now, how many of you have ever been in an earthquake? Raise your hand. Yeah, there's like three of you. See, New England, we don't know what earthquakes are, right? I mean, we live in the granite state, right? So my mom's family is from California. And at some point, it will disappear, right? It, it will go, and it will drop down, maybe for the better of all of us. Who knows? But all that to say is that it's not very stable there. But I've been even over in other countries when there is an earthquake. And you know what's interesting about an earthquake? I don't care who you are. If you've never been there, never been in an earthquake, here's what you will, I'm gonna, my name is Nathan, after the Old Testament prophet that actually spoke to David. I'm gonna be prophetic right now, okay? If you are ever in a country and you have ever experienced an earthquake, let me tell you exactly what's gonna happen. There's three things that always happen. Number one, if all of a sudden there's an earthquake, the first thing you do is you stop. Typically you, you know, if you've been in an earthquake, especially if it's in a high rise. I've been in high rises with earthquakes and they do this. Let me tell you something. That'll wake you up in the morning. You stop because the first thing you're trying to do is ascertain a very simple thing. 
Is the movement external or is it internal? That's the first thing you do. When you're in an earthquake, the first thing, when you say, because it's really weird, it's like all of a sudden, the earth that you're on is moving and you're not used to it, especially those of us from New England, right? So you stop and you realize, so you're trying to ascertain, is the, is the disequilibrium coming from inside of me or is it an external force? So you stop. The second thing you do is you look around. And typically you look at a couple different things. If you're in a house, you can look at the square of a window and you can look at a window and you can see whether it's moving irregular compared to what's outside. So you're getting your bearings. You're trying to verify the fact, stop, it's not me, it feels like it's outside. You're trying to verify the fact. So one is a window. The other thing you can look at is you can look at water. Like if there's a vase around, because it'll shake, right? It'll shake. So number one, Stop. Number two, qualify. You know what the third thing you do? I don't care who you are, what country you're in, this is the third thing you do. Ready? Here it is. You ready? You go. Did you feel that? <laughs> that is the, I'm telling you, if you're having an earthquake, <laughs> the next thing you do is you go and you do, whoever's in the room, you point at them and go, did you feel that? I don't know what your life has been like for the last 20 months or so. If at any point in time you've wondered if you're on the right path. If the job, the occupation, the calling, whatever space you're in has been under jeopardy and you're wondering, I just don't know if this is the thing for me. Or maybe during these last 20 months, maybe there's been some people in your life Maybe some people that haven't been very helpful. Maybe the ugly of people have come out and you're looking around, you're going, I can't go anywhere with this. Like I can't, like, or maybe God, you know, unfortunately death comes to us all, right? Or maybe, if nothing else, there's not very many people who are saying, this is my best life. Right, finding pleasure in the last 20 months has been difficult, it's been mitigated. How does David, how does David think of his world for a minute? He's a sheep herder, he goes to bring cheese, he kills Goliath, he gets promoted, he makes the best friend with the son of, the, of king, Jonathan. Next thing you know, he's got javelins being thrown at him. He runs out of the house, he goes and hides. They figure out the whole arrow system. You know the situation. Ultimately, he becomes king. After the caves and all the stuff, the pitchers of water next to Saul's head. Ultimately, he goes through all this, he finally becomes king. And on top of becoming a king, now he's there and he sees Bathsheba. Next thing you know, he's doing the thing that he would never have done while before, and he goes to the lowest point in his life, but God forgives him, but does not completely give him zero consequence, because you remember that the death of the son was connected to that sin. The highest highs, the lowest lows, and you think at that point he's at his lowest. No. Because ultimately, his son tries to steal the throne from him. And yet he says, I'm not shaken. How in the world can you live a life like David and not be shaken? 
because you have set the Lord always before you. He is at your right hand. He's your strength and he's close to you. And you're not shaken because you are completely focused on the only thing in the world that does not change. The immutability of God. It is permanent. If at any point you feel like you're unstable, like you're in an earthquake, and I don't mean an earthquake, I mean a life quake. If you're in a life quake where all of a sudden, you know, the path is getting violated, the people, something's happening there, or maybe even you're not having a good time, and you're going, I don't know, I don't know, I, I'm feeling. If you're feeling this, let me tell you what you need to do. Dave tells us right here, lock on. Get close and lock on. He reaches the pinnacle of these verses. He's aligning himself. I don't know where he is, but he says, God, preserve me. Yahweh, the God of my fathers, Adonai, my God. I love what you love. I, don't, I, I will not do what you don't do. I, I just won't. And he gets to this point in the pinnacle and then he transitions into verse nine. Look what he says in verse nine. Therefore my heart is glad. His spirit is changed. From the cataclysmic nature of where he was, his spirit now is changed. He is uplifted, he finds strength in that. He says, my heart is glad. In fact, my whole being, not just the innermost part of me, but every single part of me is filled with joy. And I'm not just talking about an abstract, my flesh dwells secure. That which is physical is safe. Notice the nuance there. Therefore my heart is glad, but not just that innermost part of who I am, not the heart itself, but who the innermost part, not only is that, but actually all of me is, but I'm not just talking spiritual, I'm talking physical. My physical is secure. Why? Verse 10. And verse 10 is the reason this, this chapter of Psalms is so well known. Because this verse is quoted by Peter and Paul in Acts in reference to Jesus Christ himself. This is what it says. For you will not abandon me. I am feeling lost but I know that you will not abandon me and my soul in Sheol. I don't have time to go through the full description of what Sheol is, but Sheol is wilderness, desolation. It's a place of nothingness. No, I will not be abandoned in there. You will not let your holy one, you say, that's pretty, that's pretty arrogant. No. Most likely at this point in time, he's anointed. Holy meaning separated. He was anointed to be king. He says, your holy one, you will not allow me to see corruption. There will be no rust and no decay on who I am unless you say so. And that is why I dwell secure in my flesh because I know that you will not abandon me. Even though, you ready? Here it goes, ready? Even though at some point in my life I have difficulty with a, all right folks, here we go, difficulty with a path or pleasure, even though I might have difficulty in one of these three spaces, even though I might have difficulty, I don't care because I align myself with you, God, El, Yahweh, the God of my forefathers, Adonai, my God. 
And what we realize in the last verse is that we're, that's where he was going in the first place. Verse 11 says this. You make known to me the, say it, of life. I seek you. You give me counsel in the night. I don't wonder about my path because I never go off of it. I am seeking you. You make known the path of life in your presence. That's people. There is fullness of joy. When life and people get me down, I am rejuvenated in the presence of God. I am rejuvenated in the presence of God, fullness of joy, and at your right hand, at your right hand, that's where the fun is. That's where I find fulfillment and pleasure. I don't know where you are in your life. We've only just met. I hope to meet you and speak with you at some point, maybe after the service, or maybe sometime I see you at one of our properties. I would love to get to know you. I don't know where you are, though. I don't know what's transpired in your life over the, ca- over the last bit. But most people that I talk to in the last 20 months have dealt with issues with the path, issues in the people space, and issues with enjoying what they're doing. I think David gives us an amazing, amazing prayer of alignment for difficult times. He's literally doing a theological discourse in prayer of how to align ourselves. There is a God. It's the God of my fathers. It's my God. I love what he loves. I don't love what he loves. And he goes through this and he aligns himself till he gets to verse 11. He says, you make known to me the path of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy and at your right hand are pleasures forevermore. When I think of alignment, I actually do think of the Christmas season many times. I think in the Christmas season is a beautiful season. Hopefully in some spaces, you're able to slow down for a minute. I know Christmas, it just seems like it's go, go, go. Slow down. Sit down. Slow down. Take a moment. I mean, even if you go back to Bethlehem, you will notice that the star drew the wise men. They were looking They were looking. They were trying to be predictive. They had read Isaiah. They were in the Advent season themselves. They just didn't know it was going to be that. And they saw a star that did not identify with what normally happened. And they said, there's something happening over there. We will grab our goods and go because we think something's going on. They sought alignment in that space. The wealthy people, the wise men, but even the shepherds who had nothing on the hillside, as the angels came to him and said, behold, to this day there is born. And they aligned themselves, all of them at the manger. For what God, I don't know where your life is. I don't know the difficulties or that you've been going through, but I think David gives us a very practical 
understanding of when our life feels like it's very shaky and we just don't know how to make ends, it, ends of it, there's a way to align ourselves and find security in the path that God has for us because he has a path for each and every single one of you. And on that path lies the fullness of joy and pleasures forevermore. Let's pray. Lord God, we worship you, the author, the finisher, God Almighty. Thank you. Thank you for listening to us in our time of need. Bless these people, I pray. In your son's name, Jesus Christ.